Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. If you've noticed the last couple years in the fall, we've been emphasizing where our identity lies as a church this past fall. We talked about being faithful. There's a banner that's out in the, in the foyer that says faithful to the word, faithful to the gospel, and faithful to the great commission. This year as we've come into the fall, you've seen that we have taken time to affirm what our core beliefs are as a church in this series called We Believe. Matt's preached on the Bible, on God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and last week the church. In a couple weeks, he's going to be preaching on heaven and hell and the second coming of Jesus. This week, as, as we declared earlier today, I'm going to be preaching about our belief in our salvation. should be reassuring, right, to come to church and to hear a sermon on, yes, we believe in salvation. That's what we're going to do this morning. As I begin to look at what this would entail, I saw why Matt Price said, Zane, I think that you're going to preach on salvation. I mean, the Baptist faith and message only lists 56 referenced verses um, under that heading. And, you know, last fall, Matt Price did a study on uh, Wednesday nights with the J.I. Packer book, 18 words, the most important words that you'll ever know. Seven of those 18 words dealt with salvation. So all of this to say that salvation is a very broad but also very important topic. I'm going to cover some of the key elements and, and components but, and also answer some questions this morning. But this is a topic, as many of the others are, as we go through this We Believe series that could be done a whole sermon series on its own, just on salvation. So as we talk about words this morning like atonement and regeneration, justification, sanctification, propitiation, glorification, if you still need more clarification, we please do not hesitate to look back at some of our Wednesday night podcasts where, where Matt goes in depth with each one of these topics. Uh, so you ready? I hope you are buckled in, your trade tables are in their upright positions. So here we go. As we get started this morning, it's important to clarify our main topic. Our English word salvation is translated from the New Testament word, uh, two nouns, soteria and soter. The verb is sozo. It's where we get our word salvation, meaning a savior to save and deliver. You know, salvation is obviously a broader term in the Greek 
than what we might think of in our own English language. You know, and many scholars, for, for good reason, have called sozo and soteria the most important words of the Bible. Soteria is found 45 times in the New Testament, including five times in Romans, six times in Acts, and seven times in Hebrews. We're going we're gonna to read most of those this morning, talk about a lot of those. But as we get started this morning, I think it's important for us to understand together as we get into this topic, at our church, we believe in one salvation through faith in Jesus. In Acts 4.12, as Peter and John stand before the high priest in his council, he boldly states, there is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven which we must be saved. You know, before the beginning of Jesus' time on earth, Matthew records about Jesus in Matthew 1, 21, as an angel of the Lord is speaking to Joseph about Mary. It says, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means the Lord saves Timothy George, who's the founding dean at Beeson Divinity School at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama, said, God has had one and only one plan of salvation for everybody, everywhere, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. At First Baptist Church Dumas, we believe in one salvation. And I think it's for us today, there's no question that salvation is a great overarching theme of the Bible. It's the foundation of our faith and the greatest good news that the world has ever been told. So this morning, as we look deeper into this topic and this idea of salvation, we're going to do that by answering three questions. Saved from, saved for, and saved by. So we're going to step through these together. As we look at the first question, saved from. I think it's important as we begin in under, to understand what salvation is and what salvation means to us, we have to answer this question. To have salvation, there has to be a reason to be saved. What are we saved from? The first thing that we're going to talk about this morning is sin and its consequences. And this is the main encompassing answer to this question. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Turn to Romans chapter 3. We're going to read what it says right before that passage. Romans chapter 3 starting in verse 9. As we open up and read this, know that this is taken uh, from multiple psalms, uh, from Psalm 5, 10, 14, 36, 53, and 140. Sound like I'm doing a cadence for a snap there. Also from Isaiah chapter 59. So starting in Romans chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Well then, should we conclude that Jews are better than others? No, not at all. 
For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. And scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Our, with our students on Wednesday night, we're going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John together. And we've just got through going through chapter 4 with them. In 1st John chapter 3, verse 4, John writes, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. It is our sin that explains our, because the ultimate cost for that sin is death. A familiar verse to us in Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. The payment for our turning our back to God is eternal separation. Eternal separation from God, it's death. And ultimately for us, that means hell. I'm not going to talk about that today because Matt's going to talk about that in three weeks. And if you'll remember back to Matt Hazelwood's emphasis from this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. God is a just God. And our sin cannot go unpunished. And the punishment of death is handed out in our third point under this heading, his wrath. If you'll turn with me over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sin, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Looking over on the next page, starting in, in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do the very same things. We know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you're stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble 
and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. This is why we need salvation. There is no human effort. There is nothing at all that we could do ourselves to satisfy the wrath of God. God is completely righteous and holy, just. He is also full of grace and full of mercy. And that all sinners who repent from their sin and believe in faith in Christ, he brings what we call justification. Justification, simply defined, is a special relationship of peace and favor with God. And we're going to come back to this later. (laughs) So what are we saved from? What's the overarching answer to this question? Well, it's sin, which rightfully deserves God's wrath, his judgment, and ultimately death. Well, let's look at the, at the second question. What are we saved for? The easy answer to this question would be the glory of God and an eternity spent with him. Again, you know, that eternity spent with him will be in heaven, and Matt Price is going to talk much more about that in three weeks. As I was preparing this uh, over these past couple weeks, uh, Matt Hazelwood pointed out to me as I was kind of talking about how I was going to answer these questions, he pointed out as we were bouncing ideas around that the answer to each one of these questions could be God. (laughs) That's completely true. Under the massive scope of being saved for the glory of God, there's, there's, there's also much work that's being done in that, in that process. In a similar way as we grow in wisdom and knowledge of earthly things, there's a spiritual progression that's being done by the Holy Spirit in our lives as we grow in grace and we grow in maturity in our set apart, our holiness journey for the cause of Christ. And we call this process sanctification. If you'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, I'm going to read a, a couple verses out of Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 12. It says, You have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature who through training have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. You know, at some point, we move from drinking milk to eating the solid food. And in our faith journey, in our journey, in our relationship with Jesus, we move from the more fundamental truths to the more deeper truths of God's word. This is where we begin to understand what it means to be set apart by 
and for God. This is where we grow in our worship, in our communication through prayer, where we see the fruit of the Spirit begin to blossom and begin to prosper in our own lives, where we grow in service, where we see action take part with meaning in our lives. Because we can't just sit and we can't just watch the things that are going on. We have to be, we are compelled into action by the Holy Spirit as, it, as the Holy Spirit convicts and the Holy Spirit moves in our own lives. In Philippians chapter 1 verse 6, it says, I am certain that the God who began the good work within you will continue his good work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. This process that we call sanctification is the prelude to completing God's saving work in our lives, which, is, which we call glorification. The Baptist Faith and Message 2000 reads, glorification is the culmination of salvation and is the final blessed and abiding state of the redeemed. Paul describes this anticipation as a glory that vastly outweighs our present troubles in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Again, back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. John says, Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. So what's the answer to the question, what are we saved for? To see the great majesty and the glory of God. As his Holy Spirit does the gracious and merciful work of sanctification and glorification in our own lives. Let's move on to the final question for today. What are we saved by? The first thing that we would look at today as we look at what we are saved by is the atonement. If you'll turn back to Romans chapter 3, where we've spent a lot of time this morning, I want to start reading in verse 21. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what, what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness 
For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by the obeying of the law. A study that was done on the Baptist faith, a message 2000 that was put out by Lifeway, written by Charles Kelly, Richard Land, and and Al Mohler. There's a quote in there that says, God required a sacrifice for sin, but he also demonstrated his mercy by providing that sacrifice for sin the only sacrifice that would meet the demands of his justice. This sacrifice is what the Bible means by propitiation. And we we see propitiation, the meaning of propitiation is to appease, to satisfy God's wrath and God's judgment. Jesus' death was the atonement, the payment, the sacrifice for sin. He died on the cross in place of sinners and in our place so that we refer to this work. And I've talked to our students about this, and we talk about this this term often, especially as we go through uh, the Gospel of John and we've gone through uh, now the letters of John. But we refer to this work as the substitutionary atonement. He died in our place. Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Again, a familiar passage. These, these verses say, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done so that no one can boast about it. This is God's Grace. We see grace as the unmerited favor that God gives each one of us that provides salvation, which leads to faith. Let's turn over just a few pages back to Romans. Romans chapter 10, again, a a familiar passage. Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Adrian Rogers explained the connection between grace and in faith. He said, here's how salvation works and the new birth comes about. I put my faith in God's grace. It is not the faith that saves. It is the grace that saves. Faith just lays hold of the grace. Think of the grace as God's hand of love reaching down from heaven saying, I love you. I want to save you. It is a nail-pierced hand because he has paid for our sins. Think of your faith as a sin-stained hand saying, 
God, I need you. I want you. And when we put and when you put your hand of faith in God's hand of grace, that is salvation. Our faith comes in our belief and commitment to Jesus for eternal salvation. We believe here at our church that salvation is by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. In John 3, verse 3, Chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This moment of new birth we refer to as regeneration, the beginning of God's work of salvation in our own lives. It's a moment described in the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 where our repentance and faith are inseparable experiences of grace. Wow. Where, where our repentance and our faith become inseparable experiences of grace. Our repentance is a change of heart, a change of mind that causes us to turn from sin and to turn to God. I preached on Acts 2 this past June uh, when we got back from our mission trip to Alabama. Uh, it was on Pentecost Sunday, and so naturally we were in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts 2.38, Peter tells the crowd, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent Turn to God and be baptized. You know, unlike some, we don't believe that baptism is the cause for our salvation, but it is an ordinance. It's a command, an act of faithful obedience to God between the believer and the church. And we understand that to be, uh, and we understand that to be believers' baptism. That's what we call it. It's done after you believe. It's a sign. And, it's, and we do that because we follow the principles that are inside our Bibles. And so baptism is important in, in following after our conversion experience. So what are we saved by? What is the answer to this question? I believe that we are saved by God's mercy and grace. And then our faith and belief in Jesus Christ alone as Lord over all. So it brings us to one final question today. What is our response? What do we do with this? What do we do with salvation? I want to finish by reading to you a couple passages out of Romans. First out of Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn 
among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. And turning a page over to Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 14, it says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. We have the incredible, life-changing message of the good news that brings salvation to the world. And if you're here this morning and you're hearing this for the first time, and, or maybe you've heard it for years, but this morning, for some reason, as the Holy Spirit convicts, you realize that salvation in Jesus Christ is something that you've been missing. I want to challenge you not to leave here today without talking to someone about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Matt will be down front as we begin to sing after I pray. Church, fellow believers, Christians this morning, we must be doing whatever it takes to spread the gospel, the good news message to our city and to our world. How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Let's pray. God, you have given us a great challenge in front of us. God, the salvation of, of our souls. God, we're thankful for the sacrifice that you sent through Jesus. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit this morning would convict those, God, who haven't confessed their belief in you. God, I pray that our church, God, that fellow believers here together, as we gather together to sing to you praises what you mean to us, God, also to be challenged by your word that we would leave here with a renewed passion for those around us, God, that they might see you in our lives. In your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.